it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer and the brewing industry and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is and see what we can learn from them. And this week, I speak with Derek and Dee Dee Hales from Bad Shepherd. In October, Bad Shepherd joined the growing number of small breweries that has sought to restructure through the mechanism of voluntary administration. Last Friday, they proposed a deed of company arrangement to creditors, which was successful, seeing the business able to restructure its debts and continue to trade. In this very open conversation, Derek and Dee Dee discuss the circumstances that led to their decision to place the business in VA, how the business has run during and post-COVID, and what the VA process has meant for them personally. We also have a very frank conversation about where the market is, which will be of interest to every brewery. This is my conversation with Derek and Dee Dee Hales. Derek and Dee Dee Hales, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having us. I, I imagine, well, you're certainly looking a little bit more relieved than I imagine you were feeling last Friday uh, as we record this. Uh, it's, it's been a big, uh, well, uh, big is probably underselling. It's been a tumultuous time for you both. <laughs> yeah, you can't um, see the gorilla. It's gone. It's not there anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's probably been probably the hardest period in our lives that we've had to face and um you know getting to this point was uh months of conversation and back and forth and a lot of late night a lot of late night three hour late night chats probably every night (laughs) um but yeah we um we're here now so uh you know we're, we're positively looking forward now yeah well, let's, I mean, uh, it's, it's a hard one to know where to start, but I mean, if, if we do go back um, a, a little bit and just sort of tell us a very quick, uh, you know, version of uh, Bad Shepherd, um, you know, uh, for, 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 for listeners, just to remind them where and how uh, Bad Shepherd started. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, so we started in 2015, um, back when there was only maybe... There was only one other brewery in the whole southeast. Yeah, there were a handful of breweries and even less brew pubs. Um, And, uh, you know, Derek and I are both uh, ex-corporate. So, you know, we did the whole... I don't know what you call it, not a sea change or a tree change. Uh, what, what the, what the, I don't know what the expression is, but we... Uh, change the lifestyle. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, um, you know, took a big risk, left our corporate jobs and sunk everything we had into opening this little brew pub in Cheltenham. So, um, you know, it was fantastic, I guess, fast forward probably until COVID hit and, and that's where things, you know, started to change and and. Fast forward again when COVID ended. Um, so you know, I guess we got to the position of that we're in as a as a COVID hangover. Um, so during COVID, so we were on a, a real growth trajectory. Yeah, um, the first. So we opened twenty fifteen. In the first five years, we ran in the black, and we reinvested all of our cash flow for growth. Um, expanded our capacity massively. Um, we originally shared the brewery, and then we took over the whole brewery ourselves, and then we expanded and effectively doubled the capacity from there, added in a canning line. Everything was funded through cash flow. Um, and 
you know, our, our patronage in our venue was amazing. And we were booked out most weekends and Wednesday nights for our 50 cent wings. Everything was fantastic. And then um, COVID hit and the wheels fell off. Um, and we were, yeah, we, we had to cover everything we possibly could, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and I think, you know, during that period, we made the decision to not let any permanent staff go. Yeah. Um, so, we redeployed where we could. We set up an online store. We had people delivery driving. We had people working the bar for takeaways. Um, we had people drop down to um, part time um, yeah. just so we could retain our workforce. And we never um, let anybody go. No, no, not no. throughout that whole period. And obviously, the brew pub took a significant hit. A lot of our revenue yeah. was from the brew pub. Um, but we saw, as I'm sure a lot of breweries did, growth in wholesale because people, yeah. people mm. were buying packaged beer and drinking retail. at home. A lot of retail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so we, we experienced huge growth in wholesale. Uh, and then obviously I guess an important part to mention as part of our story is during that time the um, ATO offered uh, relief, so to pause payments, um, which we did, as I'm sure a lot of other breweries did during that period, to be able to survive, um, you know, but there's only so far that that grace went yeah, and, and, and like, JobKeeper as well. So. And, and the, the math of that, um, geez, I bet you can paint by numbers for every brewery out there on this, but um, the math of that was such that what we did is we had JobKeeper, which covered a lot of it. Um, we still ran a loss, but um, the ATO and, and, and banks um, all provided um, deferral of payments. Um, for the lockdown periods, um, we weren't we weren't leveraged, so debt wasn't a thing for us. But what, for us, it was with ATO, and and we um, we had approval for the, to defer our debt. So up until that point, we'd always um, uh, paid our liabilities uh, for each lodgement immediately. We were always on time with everything, um, with our suppliers and with um, the government. Um, Post COVID. Um, we calculated, we, we managed to continue to defer our position um, and we, we saw the size of the debt that was building, but that debt um, relative to the cash flow we were generating mm -hmm. pre-COVID um, was still fine. Um, and we were confident, rather than reinvesting for growth, we were confident the cash flow that we could generate pre-COVID could manage the repayment size of that debt. So everything at that point felt fine. It was, um, for me, COVID COVID's a thing, and I understand why all those decisions were made. It's the decisions post-COVID um, around the industry, around the world, or the, the, the things that happened after that that caused the real problem for us. We had a virtual lockdown um, in right around the country, but especially here in Melbourne where nobody went out. And so we, we had serious problems um, in terms of cash flow generation. And then the industry retracted further. Um, and... Um, you know, with inflation pressures and with retail uh, lapping itself and crashing, there were some serious issues in terms of our ability to deliver to our expectations. Um, so we went backward. Um, and that made it difficult to meet the obligations that were um, required from the deferral of debt during COVID. Um, and it became untenable this year. And so we had to make a decision that we had to do something about it. So... You know, I think it, it, we, we might just sort of go through the story and then I'll come back and touch on some of the things just so we, we can have that uh, linear story. So I think it was about five, six weeks ago, um, you, you reached the decision um, to, or you'd no doubt been speaking to administrators um, yeah. before then. 
Um, but when you went into administration, you know, what was the, the financial position? I, I'm, I'm hearing that uh, deferred ATO excise debt primarily was was a major uh, part of the the, the the debts that you carried into administration. How about your other uh, suppliers and you know, uh, other debts? No, we were we we're current with suppliers. So um, we have always maintained currency with suppliers uh, from day one. We did have we did have to stretch the mm. terms with a couple of main suppliers um, in the period post COVID because of that retraction. But we had already recovered that by sort of around June July this year fully. So we were um, on, and most customers, most suppliers are kind of on thirty day terms. Um, some are a little bit longer, some are a little bit shorter, um, but. Generally, our average is around there, and every supplier, when we went into um, administration, was current. So we couldn't accelerate payments, so um, otherwise that becomes a preferred payment, and there's some rules around that. So, um, so, so the so, amount that yeah. we owed when we entered administration was just the bills from the previous weeks. So. Yeah, so, so of course, suppliers were caught up in the process. But and, only and the that, most recent purchases. That was unavoidable. Yes. Um, yeah. 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 And last week you uh, met with uh, all of the creditors and proposed a deed of company arrangement. Uh, that that's something that is on on the record or will be once yeah. the the papers are filed. Uh, can you talk us through what was proposed in in, in the deed? Yeah. Um, so what was proposed was a settlement of ten cents on the dollar. Um, so um, over twelve months uh, and to be repaid within twelve months. So. Um, and that was um, fully accepted by um, the creditors and employees. So, yeah, and employees were heavily behind it, which is great news. So, yeah. Was it unanimous? Can I, can I ask that? It was yeah. not, it was, oh, it was not unanimous, no. Um, the, our, our suppliers, so, sorry, I, I've said it wrong. Our, our um, suppliers uh, were all 100% unanimously in support. Um, and so and employees. our employees. Um, the ATO uh, voted against mm. And and that's you know it, it, it's a really difficult one in 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 one hand you know I, I guess in in our industry we're dealing with suppliers and please uh, you know correct me uh, if, if you don't agree with any parts of the statement slash question um, you know it's an industry of people that's very very supportive um, the ATO of course has a has a job to do and it's got a very strong uh policy background you know it has to look at government policy and things like that it can't probably be as mindful of individuals when there is public policy to, con to consider and i would imagine that there's hundreds of breweries in the country that are in a very similar position um uh and they're very much uh you know caught between a rock and a hard place of looking like you know government uh crushing small business but on the other hand you know, it, it's it's public money that they need to to pr protect. Um, you know, is that a fair summary of the position that they were in, or did did you ag agree that they were in a difficult position? Probably uh, yes. I, yeah. I would say so. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we're we're speculating now without asking. Yes. No. 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 Of course. But, but I think that is a a, a fair. I mean, assessment. I, you know. Yeah. Um, I can say, um, having spoken to a lot of breweries, I, I know um, you know we're, we're we're an incredibly inclusive community, and we know each other. And um, you know, at BrewCon and and pre and post BrewCon, I've spoken to so many breweries that all have similar mm. challenging circumstances, um, and they do involve the ATO. So 
Um, so I think I think we can probably, yeah, hypothesize that there's a long list there of the breweries, and yeah, there's likely a precedent setting um, policy. That needs to be considered yeah. there. So um, there, there was I was in one of the articles, so I guess this is you know out there. Um, I think was it ballistic where there's one of the articles around an administration process that mentions the ATO in that circumstance voted against. Well, yes. Um, yeah. And I think it specifically talks to that they were they didn't want to set a precedent or they were trying to... That, um, yeah, we, we, we covered that with Ballistic, and that, which is why I'm asking now, because you know, I should sort of say that we haven't had any conversations you know, um, uh, about this. Um, so I'm, I'm presu- making presumptions that you can correct if I'm wrong. Exactly. So, yeah. so I guess what I, my point is, you know, they've probably taken the same position with us um, being a brewery. So I think it's a safe assumption. Yeah. yeah. So, but um, but the outcome of that is that um, you need to win on both. So the way that uh, a deed of company arrangement is um, is reviewed in in a creditor meeting is um, each each it's uh, creditor on, it's on value and you know, number. on value and numbers. Number is effective, like the United Nations is now small. Your nation is if, if you're owed a dollar, you have an equal vote with somebody that's owed a million dollars. So. Um, but then value is proportionate to how much you're owed. So you do have to uh, win both votes. Um, if not, then the administrator carries a casting vote. And in this case, the administrator voted in our favor. Okay, so so in this case, you had the majority of votes, but with the ATO being such a significant creditor, they... We were unsuccessful yeah. on value. Right. Yeah, so yeah. successful on number, unsuccessful on value. And the administrator- so then it's a tie, and then the administrator breaks the tie. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, for, for, for breweries that are listening and you know you've identified what I've also heard that there are a lot of breweries that are in very similar positions um, was it an option to try and negotiate you know payment terms with the ATO that, that would have allowed it to be paid off you know over a, 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 a time that you could afford to um, it, we tried. I, ideally we did try yeah. um, so their their public and private position is 36 months is the longest they'll let you go and the challenge is 36 months um, of payments exceeded the cash flow generated from a profit now. And that's back to that whole thing. We, we forecasted that we could do that if we had pre-COVID numbers. And then when we didn't, um, then that was no longer tenable. Um, and so they have been unwilling to flex on a 30. And you think about it, if you have a large debt of any sort, to pay that off over 36 months is, is incredibly trying. So um, unfortunately, that's just... Um, it's a policy that hopefully gets reviewed. Um, I know that the IBI are lob- lobbying to try to have that um, changed, but um, as it stands right now, that was we tried, um, and it it just wasn't yeah, wasn't so, an option. So so, yeah. so we tried. Um, I mean, th- there's a lot of levers that we pulled before yeah. deciding to enter administration. So we did try renegotiating. Payment plans. We proposed. Um, we, we were confident we could carry it over seven years, um, and we proposed seven years, um, and they rejected it. And, and we probably, so, you know, even over five. I think we we could have yeah, over five, but they yeah. wouldn't even have a conversation. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah. And then we also tried negotiating directly with them, um, and that that was a bit of a hail mary. Um, we we had been advised that in the past and during COVID 
the ATO were open to a direct negotiation, um, mm. but that was in different industries, um, so not in yeah. our industry. So, we, um, you know. I, I, I don't know if this is going to have his phone ring off the hook, but Matthew Brittingham um, supported us in looking at alternatives. And Sorry, um, who, who's and he? To, um, he's a tax lawyer okay. that's a sponsor of the IDA. Yep. Um, and he did a talk at um, BrewCon. Ah, uh, um, right, yes. We, we engaged his services to try to, ultimately, we were just trying to facilitate a conversation. Um, we wanted to speak to somebody. And because it, it feels like it's a faceless entity, and ultimately, it's run by humans as well. And, you know, we wanted to just have a conversation. And um, we were un, un, unlucky, or, uh, unable to uh, to arrive at that. And so, uh, but um, look, Matthew's incredibly um, astute, and um, I'll throw him uh, a bit of a plug here, I think, if if. Any breweries out there looking for advice or support in this area, he's very knowledgeable um, and he understands avenues to try to navigate. It, we were unsuccessful, but he's um, he certainly knows uh, what he's talking about and he's, a, and he's a great resource to lean on. So Hindsight is twenty twenty, and, you know, I, I, I constantly look back at the start of COVID, you know, that March 2020 period where no one knew um, what the future held and no one would have predicted what the next two, two and a half years of lockdowns, particularly Melbourne, uh, w w would have been. And, you know, even I, I think government, uh, the, the money that the government ended up providing wasn't expected at the start and everybody was very nervous and anxious. Do you think, But and, and given that, um, do you regret having put the... Uh, tax on on pause given that it sounded like you still did get uh you know a bump in trade it's a good question i, I think because you know in the end um what we did at that time we did run cash flow mildly positive um and we continued to reinvest as though we would be fine on the other end so would we have made different decisions um and perhaps retracted batten down the hatches and been a lot more careful at the time possibly um, but in the end, I think you have to trust anybody their word. And, you know, the word received at the time was, this is okay, you need to pause. And, and the challenge is, you know, um, on the other end of it, <laughs> we known that it would retract. I don't know. What do you, like, it's a really an impossible question to answer. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know. <laughs> I should say, and I don't expect <laughs> you to, I, I, I'm just interested because, you know, again, my my gut reaction is if you're in a on, on a ship surrounded by icebergs and someone offers you a uh, lifeboat, a you take the lifeboat even if you don't exactly. think you need it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, I guess short answer is we probably would have done exactly what we did because mm. we're still the same people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with, yeah. The, with the same thought process. And our values but, are consistent uh, yeah, with that. Yeah, right? exactly. So it was important to us to keep everybody employed. It was important to us to... Um, continue to try to see this um, stay open and, and manage our dream like that. None of that changed. So I think, yeah, if somebody threw that life preserver at me, I'd still take it. I, I yeah, think. You, you, yeah, you know, it wasn't, maybe it should have been buyer beware, but like. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. As I said, it's, 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 it's yeah. a hindsight question, you know, and I, I, the uncertainty that took place during 2021. Look, look yeah. I think, you know, I don't think we would have done anything differently because, it was you sort of have to have a level of optimism that yeah. you know that things will go back to normal and things will change and we're not going to be operating like this forever and you know i mean obviously no one could have foreseen melbourne lockdowns being as 
severe and as long-lasting. I mean, it, it was pretty much two years yeah. um, for us. So with a few, you know, a month here and there that we were open. Um, but, yeah, it was it was very intense in Melbourne and, um, yeah, I just think, you know, we, we probably would have made the same decisions. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think we would have. Going through it again have. because, yeah. you know... We may have. I think what would have changed, maybe changed, Matt, is we would have reacted faster when the when the industry retracted. I think that yeah. was maybe the one that caught us out more. And I think I think we all had that issue where we kind of thought, well, this is just a bit funny. It'll go away, and it didn't. You know. Yeah, the, so, the, yeah. there was a lot of oh, it'll get better. It's got to get better. It'll get better, <laughs> yeah. and it didn't. And, so. and, and and we might come back to that uh, how how the market's gone. But the, the 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 reason I asked the hindsight question was because. You know, there a lot of conversations around these topics take place offline where people don't want to sort of say it. And uh, it's the same with things like equity crowdfunding, where breweries that elect not to take what I call the free money of equity crowdfunding um, do sometimes feel resentful to, to the ones that do because, you know, it, mm. it, for better or worse, it provides... Oh, envy. Well, hey, we have envy on that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and, and because well. it's, there's a competitive yeah. advantage in taking money that you never have to account for and you don't have to pay back um, yeah. to, to give you business. And that's where, you know, I've had a couple of um, brewers comment who, who made a different decision to you and, you know, they, they don't criticise the decision, but sort of now feeling, well, you know, we paid our tax and we don't get the, 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 the free run... Um, that you know others may get, and uh, and uh, you know I, I I I guess it's one of those things that depends on the decision that you made. If you made the decision to pay it, think that yeah. Uh, I mean, free run is an interesting choice of words because you is not well. That's at someone else's money expense. Yeah. Like it's yeah, somebody yeah. else has funneled, funneled that. Who will well, yeah. uh, cost me a spade. They're never going to see that money again. You know, so that's. <laughs> So that's just another another source of taking for somebody else. So, mm. Yeah, yeah, but no, you know, but I was talking about the excise that uh, you know businesses that paid their excise made the decision to for whatever reason pay it d- d- despite not uh, having to. Um, and right, uh, right. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think at the time we felt. You know, it was that uncertainty. We probably felt we weren't going to make it if we didn't defer. And we felt confident looking at, you know, however many years of forecast and history having gone before that things would return to normal. I mean, yeah. there was a sense that, you know, everyone was busting to get out of lockdown and get back to normal life. Um, yeah. But then a lot, a lot of other factors happened that didn't see think, that realised. So, yeah, and I think you've probably got to look through the lens of each business and how they're structured too, right? So because if we were heavily production-based, I think we would have made that decision differently. Yes. So being, you know, we are very reliant on the turnover in our brew pub. It's a, it's a huge part of our business. So for us to make decisions to keep people employed, to manage all our insurances, our leases, everything else that are around a business that is closed, and yes, it's getting job seeker, but other than that, it's, it's not getting any support. So to run those losses without making structural change at the time, we had to make decisions that would probably be different from a production-focused business. So, um, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and it's interesting, so looking at the, again, I'm hearing a lot of brewers talking about post-COVID and um, um, you talk about the COVID hangover um, 
uh, a little bit earlier. And having heard, and, and not not yourselves, but I'd, I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts um, on, uh, you know, uh, 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 how would I describe it? Ass- assumptions or you know um, things that I've taken away from hearing uh, a number of other brewers talk about was when you go back to that uncertainty of um, you know March 2020 when everything was starting to close down and we didn't know and everyone thought that you know the the, the sky was falling um, and it was uh, quite terrifying. But then as you've identified, people with pubs closed, uh, you know, most breweries didn't have a, most small breweries didn't have a huge presence in in breweries so weren't as affected and then got a real benefit in a lot of ways and certainly as the the, the wholesale of cans, anyone who could get beer in cans because people still wanted to drink and they had, uh, there was a lot of money in the economy to to fuel um, that that purchase. Um, And we did see uh, businesses find a trade to balance out the, the loss of other revenues and at the same time you know businesses and including mine the, the the job keeper revenue was unexpected and a huge assistance and a few other bits and pieces along the mm-hmm. way and I know that I found myself looking at the times and thinking gee this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be um, imagine what it's going to be like when we go back to normal trade forgetting that mm-hmm. there was a very you know, we were given a very firm safety blanket in some ways um, yeah. that wasn't really real um, in in, yeah, in, in, in the times. I, I've heard some breweries have made business decisions based on that, thinking that it was only going to get better um, post-COVID, you know, not accounting for the fact that COVID was actually uh, supporting their businesses in a way. Was, was that something that you guys found yourselves? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. yeah it, it was an illusion, right? So we had... We were on fifty to one hundred percent growth year on year in our wholesale business, but they were, they were big numbers, yeah. you know. So, um, and it cast us up the tiers and the IBA kind of grades. Like we, we started sort of a group up, and we we're up in you know kind of the higher tiers, not the highest, but our, our volume went up rapidly. Um, and you know, I think it's natural to expect that you just continue some sort of growth, but the growth would shift to on premise. Yes. Um, that's and you retain most of your retail. That's kind of, I think, a logical assumption yeah. you have right there. So, but then the retail just crashed, and you obviously we had some draft because places opened again, but it wasn't to the level we expected. So then you're kind of caught out. And the other thing is, I think breaking down, it, it's a hard one to kind of cast a, a, a brush all the way across when you look at those steps. So here's a good example for us. Um, uh, in mid-2021, um, we made the decision to renovate our place. And that came at quite a cost. Mm. And at the time, again, using our cash flow. So this wasn't us using the ATO as a as a bank. Yeah. But rather, at the time, we had been open for a few months. Um, trade was looking good. Um, we had a need for change and renovation. So um, we planned for one. Um, and we engaged a builder, made a 50% deposit on a $300,000 bill, and a week later we went back into a lockdown for the one for another three months. Um, and at the same time, JobKeeper was phased out. Mm. So um, suddenly we're wearing losses all over the place, and we'd made a commitment that there was no way out of that anymore. So you know now we have to carry that and see it through. There was, there was no alternative. So, And I'm sure we're not the only ones that just made – normal business decisions during a really difficult time frame that 
you know, and maybe in hindsight, maybe that was the wrong one, but it, it felt right. And it felt right based on our forecasts and what were our expectations were. And, you know, um, you don't always get them right. Um, and that's unfortunately. And then we didn't know another lockdown was coming. We didn't know they were cutting out job keep at the same time. And, you know, so that was, we got cut out there. So all business is playing chicken with the future, um, really is. Yeah. Now that you've, you've had the business handed back to you, um, you, you, you've still got money that you do have to, to, to pay back, um, clearly. Yeah. What is the, the, the plan for uh, Bad Shepherd? Well, um, on the DACA front, we're nearly already halfway eaten into that. It's our intention to try to exhaust that as quickly as possible. So, um, and we're confident we're trading profitably. So um, that... Uh, we're confident we will manage um, so <clears throat> and effectively. So, um, and then as a team, um, we. Well, can I answer this? I yeah. think we we have an interesting decision to make, and something that we haven't. Do we? No, we do. Okay. No, it's exactly something that we haven't. Uh, surprise! It's something that we haven't touched on, um, which is something that we kind of talked about offline. Was I think it's something that we haven't talked about here is where a lot of breweries have been caught out um, in the current environment is ones that are our size, mid-size. You know, we were poised to yeah. grow. Yeah. I think if you're a small operator and you are fully realising the benefit of the $350,000 excise relief, you're fine. Um, if you are large enough, you're probably fine as well to absorb it all. It's, mm. I think, the breweries that are in that mid-tier like us that were about to grow, COVID happened, where we're not small enough that we can really see any benefit from the excise relief, but we're not big enough to sort of buffet the storm. We're, mm. we're caught in the middle. And, you know, I think we probably need to decide, do we want to shrink to greatness or, or continue to grow, invest. Mm. So um, it's an interesting position to be in and I think, yeah, breweries at our size are the ones that you, probably if you were to sit down and talk to them, um, they're probably in quite a similar situation than us. So, you know, next 12 months we're obviously focused on um, delivering the docker, um, mm. fully getting out of that process and then uh, looking forward to growing, probably. Um, but, yeah, yeah, growing smartly. I think yeah. so. Cool. Cool. I, I, that's kind of, I, I guess that, that's a lens we need to look at. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, it's, it, we don't have any intention to shrink, but it's no. more, <clears throat> it's a lens we need to be aware of. And, and I think one thing we talk a lot about is um, an unintended consequence of the $350,000 excise scheme um, we believe is people breweries sheltering their the from the the factors at play right now and choosing to kind of sell just to that point or less um, and then running an unrealistic problem profitability and probably not truly a profitable business um, so it gets into a lot of those arguments that were probably out there 15 20 years ago about wet tax and an abundance of, of wine so, um, and I think a lot of breweries will try to stay to that size and we're well and truly beyond that. So we have to find a way to be smart about it. Um, and to Dee's point, I don't know so much, we, we don't intend to shrink further in terms of our team or anything like that, but it's how do we manage the navigate that we're in this tight field. So yeah. is it about 
shrinking by focusing on hyperlocally to get the best relationships and best continuity to grow from as a base? Is it about um, investing in partners around us? Is it about finding other alternatives um, to uh, to amplify our growth? Whether it's you know I, I don't know what is it, vertical, vertical integration things or what it, we need to think differently. Um, given we're caught out in that middle place. And I think that's that's the hard part for us is we have to figure that out. We've got a, we've got a chance now to do that. Um, we do run profitably, but um, and it's a very tight, lean, engaged team, but we have to consider the fact we are in that muddy middle um, and we can't, the way we're structured, we, we have to be smart about playing in that area, I think. So, yeah. It, uh, again, I think that's one of the most... Uh, um, insightful. Uh, <laughs> so, so it's certainly something that I've been seeing. Um, you know, whether it, it, it's excise, and I was one of those who always counselled: be careful what you wish for with excise, because you don't know. There, there's always the assumption that well, if the government gives us this, the rest of the industry will stay the same, and we'll just get the benefit of this three hundred fifty thousand dollars. But of course the industry changes around those things. We've seen a lot of, a lot more uh, hotel chains install breweries because that's kind of like a $350,000 rebate check that yeah. they get every yeah. year. And uh, that's yeah. cutting taps um, that are available to, to, to the one-time indies. Um, and that's just yeah. one of the examples. And as you said, a lot of small breweries are set up just to harvest the excise payment and not grow, um, which is a very different business yeah. model than. But priced as though they are paying, mm. it. and that's where for those of us that are paying it, once we you you passed your number, you know, we're, it's not a level playing field, and that's it wasn't meant to be for that. It was meant to be for. I mean, there's a lot of arguments about what would happen, the race to the bottom, but I mean, the, I believe the intended the intention of it was to allow for investment in the in the industry in varying capacities, whether it's through people and technology, that sort of thing. But instead now, people are using it as a safety net in a really tough time. Yep. So. You've talked about the industry retraction and the, uh, you know, the, the, the wholesale changes that have happened. You know, there was certainly a huge bump when people were in lockdown and pubs were shut. Has it gone backwards from the pre-COVID baseline in terms of you know, package sales? Yeah. What was oh, driving that, do you think? I think it'd be a few things. It's so it's a bit of a perfect you know, storm of things. Yeah. I think, yeah. Well, I mean, right at the top to me is going to be white label. Um, you know, so um, the fact that um, the major retailers um, have been uncompromising in their attack on um, opportunistically taking advantage of the growing market in in um, in this area. So, um, and you know, that, that's a fair market thing. So, and and good on them um, for looking at it that through that lens. They should. Um, you know, we, I think it's unfair in a, in a free market to say you can't do that. Well, they can. It, that's, but the reality is that comes at a cost. That breweries are all going to hurt with um, with loss of um, share of throat to uh, white label beers that look like craft beer. Now, there's an argument about whether they should look so much like craft beer in some circumstances, but it is a fair free market. I think is that. I think um, inflation is driving purchase prices. Um, to uh, you know, we're, despite our, our kind of tumultuous period, our lager and pale ale have exploded in growth, and I think most people tell you the same thing. Um, so our mix has shifted heavily to lower cost alternatives, um, and I we don't get scan data, but I would guess that a lot of there's a there's a compounding factor. People then are also shifting to lower cost alternatives with major brewers again. So 
I think there's a price thing. I think there's white label. I think there's um, more healthy decisions. I think people are uh, uh, healthy and don't get me started uh, on, on, on whether they're healthy or not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The better for the better for you, quote unquote. Don't get me started. But I think there's a shift. Yeah, share our throat to um, seltzers, um, and I think the breweries that actually I, I don't know. I have a personal guess that the breweries that um, launched and did seltzers very well in the last four years have been very different to every other brewery during this period. I think they've probably done very well. That's my my guess, but who knows? Are you guys so. ranged in the two major retailers? Yeah, look, we have we have great relationship with both. So, like, I, I won't be clear. That's just I'm just observing. Uh, no, no. I, again, I just wanted to put that because you know, on one hand, you're identifying an issue, but then you're also sort of uh, saying, "Well, that's a free market economy." I've got a slightly different view. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I have a view about when when you try to make yourself look a certain way. I think to vertically integrate yourself is fine when you try to do it unabashedly trying to steal. Um, what, is, what is the term when you when you take some when you take People challenge you over trademarks when you're um, – there's, there's a term for that, when you – passing off. Passing off, yeah. Like, I feel like it's arguably passing off the entire industry when you when you go too far and you make it look like you're independent. Like, I have a problem with that. I'll, I'll also say that the small brewing industry allowed that to happen. You know, 10 years ago, the ACCC yeah. came out and very strongly um, gave very, very strong expectations around labeling and what was expected to be said. And yeah. the, you know, Lion and CUB – certainly uh, you know, picked up their socks. And I think there was a lot of small breweries that were contract brewing um, were very reluctant to do it because uh, it didn't serve their purposes and they actually opened the door to uh, yeah. passing off. But that's, again, that, that, that's my view. But uh, it's, it's true. I, I just, you know, look, we have a great relationship with, with national retailers and, and I'm respectful of the fact that they have it's a free market and they can make the decisions that they want to and it's up to us to respond but that's also again again not not drawing criticism um again it's just an observation not a criticism that is one of the things that's changed significantly in the marketplace i think every brewery that's opened um in in the last 20 years opened in a market that they knew that tap contracts were an issue and uh so so you're opening in a market with a certain fact situation that you have to either deal with or confront. The vertical integration where up to 25% of the products on shelves uh, of the major retailers being from the major retailers, that is a new thing that, you know, um, when breweries opened and were forecasting what market growth and the market that they could target uh, was, that has been a significant change. You know, is it harder to, to, to get ranged locally? And, you know, I, I heard from Mighty Craft that they find that the uh, retailers don't want to take any brands national um, a, at all, which was once a strategy for, yeah, for breweries of your size. You're right. I think it's, we're finding it's becoming a lot more locally based. Um, and if you're going well, which... Um, we do go very well uh, with Coles. We've got a, a very strong distribution there. Um, if you go well, they're, they're very interested in taking you statewide. Um, and if you have a skew, like our peanut butter porter is national with them, but that's because it's different. It's a it unique beer, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, um, so it does very well for us just through high distribution, not probably turnover at the shelf, but it t- turns over enough to be unique and, and stay there. So. Um, but um, I think going beyond statewide for breweries our size or even slightly larger or smaller, 
I don't think there's going to be a lot of that anymore. Um, <clears throat> I think instead getting local distribution with um, new limiteds, new cores, um, doing things like that, that rotate, um, I think they're a lot more flexible now. Um, I just don't think it's suddenly you can go, I'm going to get 2,000 new distributions. I think you can get 30 um, with something pretty cool and they'll get behind it. Um, you got you got to engage them and call them a lot. <laughs> they're very busy people. But I think you can get that and I think they're looking at it. And that's maybe the lines, like I said, we have to respond. I think we all need to look at it like we need to be um, investing back in our backyard. And that's where, to Didi's point about, about shrinking, like I think our responsibility is to invest back in the Bayside community of, of Melbourne. That's where we are, and that's where we should be. People know us, people come into us, and we should be investing back in our own retailers and, and publicans around us. I think that makes sense, you know? Of course, although and I made a note um, right at the very start of this chat, you talked about, you know, when you opened, there was a handful of breweries, and it's certainly a much more crowded backyard that, that you're... Uh... Yeah, there's probably 20 around us now. <laughs> So we were, there were two back then. So, yeah. But that's okay. Look, not on this side. So on this side of the Nepean Highway, what I like to say, the good side, the east side <laughs> we're the only one, right? So, um, and we're the only brewery in in, um, in the whole city of Bayside. We're one of maybe 10 in Bayside and Kingston. So, um, and within five kilometers of us and all the way to the beach, up and down, right through to, geez, Port Melbourne, really. It's, we're the only brewery. So, you know, so and I think other breweries have that kind of claim too. So it's up to us to invest there. And there's a lot of touch points, a lot of distributions, a lot of relationships that can be made, a lot of clubs, a lot of a lot of ways to grow locally more than trying to get ourselves on the shelf in Darwin. You know, like that's I, I think that's gone at least for now. I, I think that's and it's probably the right decision by the retailers as well. So. And how about craft beer itself? It's, you know, I, I sit back and I guess I, I describe myself as a professional observer um, of the industry. I don't have, you know, ties in the industry that, you know, if, if you own a brewery, your focus is on the success of that brewery and you know, on, on the marketplace because that's what, what you're incentivized to do. And it, mm. one of the things I've always tried to do, even though I have advertisers and things, is, uh, you know, tried to keep... Um, of the industry, but not in the industry. So I, you know, I have the, the the luxury of questioning um, w w without having the internal dissonance. And I, I, I sit back and look at the 20 year um, cycle of craft beer where it was a revolution against, um, you know, similarity you know, or, or sameness where every beer um, was basically lager of a certain flavor type. The branding um, or the uh, brand promise may have been a little bit different, but you know, People who try who went overseas um, and tried beers suddenly came back wanting those beers, and it was a revolution against the fact that they couldn't get that. And we've seen, you know, an, an enormous um, you know, the, the full product cycle, um, where now we have almost an exhaustion coming in from the from the amount of choice that we have. What's your view of you know where we are at craft beer? Is there still an appetite for are we growing appetite for diversity in beer styles or are we starting to contract back to what we've always seen in the German market, for example, where there's, you know, a small but valid selection of high quality beers that offer, you know, a, a bit of flavor diversity for others? Yeah. I think if you look at what's happening with our sales and our portfolio mix and what's performing well and what yeah. isn't, I think it's the latter. I yeah. think it's... 
There was you, not, you know, the pendulum swinging. When you asked what happened with retail, the other one we didn't talk about was saturation of innovation, and I think you know we. And everybody would tell you this. They probably won't. They probably won't tell you completely. It's a bit of a dirty secret, I guess. But um, in the past eighteen months, we no longer sell out a tank. We we announce it, and it doesn't. We used to. Geez, five years ago, if we we announced a beer, people were fighting. Retailers were fighting over and getting angry over them not getting a product. Right? It was that high demand. Now we launch it, and it's you know retailers would be interested. They might take it. They might not. You know, and you got to kind of got to work for it. So. I think um, the saturation of innovation um, and limiteds uh, that did plateau, and I think I think there's always going to be a role for it. Um, but I still come all the way back to I believe it's got to be fresh, it's got to be local, it's got to be something um, that you can have likely at the source um, and from people you know and that you trust. Because I think there's so many breweries and there's so many alternatives. I think launching limiteds. That get you high turnover on high volume. I think that is gone. I think I think there's a role, um, but I think it is to your point probably more down the road of high quality, approachable core beers that from a brand you trust. And I think that's where it gets hard though, because how do you compete on cost mm. right there? So, but um, but I yeah. I do think, at least right now, that's the future is um, a regression to the mean a little bit, um, mm. which sucks, really. But again, you have to go with what the consumers want, right? Like, we didn't, it's a passion. We got in this because we love it, but you also have to, like, if you only want to make the beers you, you love, be then commercial. be a home brewer. You know, so you have to you have to balance it. We still make beers. Part of our strategy going forward, we used to do two um, launches a month. Now we're doing uh, one. Um, and a smaller and small volume. Batch. Um, yeah. That's on purpose, you know, and it's selling out, and which is good, and it's got and it's fresh and it's tasting great, and that's so that's where we want it to be. That's that 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 place that we can build from again. Well, more than anything, I'm just uh, mindful of the time and uh, that it, it is the Melbourne Cup uh, public holiday that you've uh, uh, <laughs> allowed me to take a little bit of time off. So I will say, well, you know, it, it sounds like there's a interesting and challenging future but bad shepherd survives um to 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 tackle uh you know that that uncertainty and play chicken with the future yeah yes. you know I'll, I'll add one thing too that um i'm sure that there'll be lots of breweries um listening to this um is there are alternatives and don't be afraid to have the conversation this might not be it for you it might be though financial restructuring can be an alternative so can crowdsourcing so can investors but speak to people that have knowledge um get answers. Don't be afraid to tell the truth. Don't be afraid to have conversations that are tough um, and get into the, the, the ugly part of it because um, ignoring it is worse. Um, we're all in it together. And, um, and you know, anybody wants to call me, you know, I, I'm happy to have more conversations to help believe and, and talk about things I learned, you know, um, and, um, and I know Didi is the same and we're all we're all in this together and we're incredibly supportive industry. It was, I had over 80 different um, suppliers and breweries contact me in the past four weeks offering us support. Like that's, that's an incredible thing, you know, so something to just um, keep in mind, just ask the questions and get support. Don't, don't ignore it. Great advice. Derek and Didi Hales, thank you very much for being part of this conversation and uh, all the very best for Bad Shepherd. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. And that was Derek and Dee Dee Hales. And I thank them for being willing to engage so thoughtfully in a very difficult discussion. We'll be back this Thursday with our look at all of the news of the week. Thank you for listening.